Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what, there's music in the air. The Grand Slam, it's an impressive feat in baseball and darn near impossible in music. But a few all-stars have achieved four great albums in a row. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. With the country swept up in World Series fever, we take a look at rock and roll Grand Slams. And later, we review the latest from Detroit post-punk band Proto-Martyr. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to the Sound Opinions Grand Slam. I'm Len Casper, TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. Jim and Greg, let's get some runs. Grand Slam, yes ma'am. A clean sweep you off your feet. Thanks, Len. In honor of the 2015 World Series, we thought we'd nod to the great American pastime, sound opinion style. Now, during this episode, Jim and I are going to hit some musical grand slams. In baseball, a grand slam, you can't do any better. you got to run around first, run around second, run around third. You hit a home run. That is the greatest achievement in a baseball game. It happens very rarely. But I think it happens even more rarely in music. It's very tough to do. Many great musicians, I think, have made two or three in a row, but four... That, that's a tough one to get, Jim. Aside from the fact that I hate all sports and try to avoid them, this was the hardest rock history show we had to do because coming up with those four in a row, that's a tall order. Yeah, it is a very tall order, Jim, but I'm confident we can do it. And I had that confidence because as soon as we uh, came up with this topic, there was one artist that popped into my head. And I once I investigated further, I go, yeah, absolutely. Stevie Wonder, four in a row. I think he made four albums in a row that stand up with any artist from any era. And I'm talking about 1972 with Talking Book, 1973 with Inner Visions, 1974 with Fulfilling This's First Finale. That's a mouthful. It's a tough one. And then in 1976, Songs in the Key of Life. Stevie had a string of hits for Motown in the 60s as as a relatively young artist, most of them done as a teenager. Once he turned 21, he signed a new contract with Motown, and I think uh, it was just in the air. The album was in the air as, as more of a conceptual piece of work rather than a collection of singles. Marvin Gaye had come out with uh, What's Going On, his Motown peer, and Sly and the Family Stone was upping the ante in the way that he was merging rock and soul and psychedelia. So Stevie was hearing this music, obviously influenced by the Beatles as well, the Rolling Stones, and he started thinking in terms of making an entire song cycle. The first in that run, 1972 Talking Book, I think the first unified statement of his career, themes of love and politics, superstition as a great anchor single, followed by 1973's Inner Visions, heavy social political commentary and also spiritual concerns when he was talking about meditation and and spirituality as being a way out of some of these traps transcendental meditation meditation speaks of inner preservation transcendental meditation 
Followed it up in 74 with his most introspective album of that era, Fulfilling Us' first finale. It's not as cohesive as Inner Visions and Talking Book, but excellent songs all the way through. You know, the stages of love and politics. He's sort of following the arc of a love affair here. And then after a, uh, a near-fatal car accident, coming back in 76 with what a lot of people consider his masterpiece, Songs in the Key of Life, really upping the ante in terms of his ambition. And I think the one unifying theme in that record is just just the joy of being alive. You can hear the celebration of Sir Duke and celebrating his newborn child and Isn't She Lovely. So a great four-album run from Stevie Wonder. I want to play a track from what I consider the best album in that four-album run. It is my personal favorite, the 1973 Inner Visions album, where I think he pulled it all together. Here's the track Living for the City from Stevie Wonder on Sound Opinions. His sister's black, but she is shown the pretty. Her skirt is short, but Lord, her legs are sturdy. To walk to school, she's got to get up early. Her clothes are old, but never are Living for the City from Stevie Wonder, his 1973 Inner Visions album. Part of his Grand Slam. Four great albums in a row. So, Jim, uh, you got to hit one out of the park with the bases loaded. <laughs> give me give me four great albums in a row. What's the, what's the first are, are we going to go through about? this whole show with sports uh, cliches? Because I don't know any. I know. You love you love sports cliches so much, we're just going to pile them on today. It's like this, this episode of Sound <laughs> Opinions will be recorded in Esperanto, and Jim yeah. will have no idea what is going on. Uh, you got to go to some canonical, great, all-time, so obvious, duh, choices when you're talking about four wonderful albums in a row. I'm going with Zeppelin. Of all the bands that, that you and I instantly thought of when we thought of the Grand Slam concept, there's only one that I've got a tattoo of, and it's my Zeppelin bottom three rings symbol on the bass drum foot. 
Some people would start the four-album run, I think, with Led Zeppelin I in 1969 because that set the template for the Zeppelin sound. The bluesier stretches there that are still really Jimmy Page segueing from the Yardbirds, I'm not as fond of. I start the string with Led Zeppelin II in 1969. The fact that the first album and the second album both came out in the same year is evidence of how much talent and how many ideas this band had. But with Zeppelin II, they had that wonderful hard proto-heavy metal, and they were never just a heavy metal band, it was a hard rock band, Stomp, that would become a Zeppelin hallmark, but also the light touch with melody and the wonderful production tricks. Now, one thing I noticed when tabulating Grand Slams is there often is a sleeper album somewhere in the middle of the string of four masterpieces, a breather, if you will. And that's where we as critics are going to have to stretch to really make the case that this is a masterpiece, even though it's not as immediate as some of the other records. Led Zeppelin III, released in 1970, the second in my string of four masterpieces from Zepp, is the record they recorded out in the countryside in Wales, writing the songs in a cottage hanging out as a group, Robert Plant's fondness for Fairport Convention and the incredible string band coming to the fore, Page's virtuosity as a finger picker, and also John Paul Jones as a multi-instrumental genius, all coming out in softer, wonderful, melodic songs, and then you still have Bonham as the brontosaur that stomps through the room in the middle of the night. It's wonderful. Zeppelin IV, Stairway to Heaven, When the Levee Breaks, two of the greatest songs in rock history. Enough said... And then I think my personal favorite is 1973's Houses of the Holy. By this point, Zeppelin had showed us everything they could do. Psychedelic Zeppelin, uh, hard rock Zeppelin, pop Zeppelin, blues Zeppelin, to be sure. I was really torn. I was either going to do Dancing Days from Houses of the Holy in 73, but I want to play a song that that showcases the range of this band, so I'm going to go back further. There's a wonderful little sleeper of a tune on Led Zeppelin 2, Thank You, which is a beautiful very 60s sounding pop song it's a love song and it's it's heartfelt it shifts into almost a birds like pop song at one point there's some wonderful keyboard some wonderful dainty stuff and yet you know you still have the bottom stomp which gives it this grounding so this is thank you from led zeppelin 2 one of a string of four masterpieces in 1969 on sound opinions if the sun refused to shine I would still be loving you When mountains crumble to the sea There will still be you and me
That is Thank You from Led Zeppelin. Jim DeRogata citing four great Led Zeppelin albums in a row. You know, Jim, I would make the case for the first album. I would disagree with you on that point. I think they made five amazing albums in a row. And you might make the case for physical graffiti as well. So if let's it was go to a six. single album, yeah, you, you would make the case for physical graffiti. Yeah. I'm going to fast forward about three decades to uh, Sleater Kinney, a great band out of Olympia, Washington. Came out of that riot girl scene in the early 90s. Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein were big players in that scene. A very small insular scene at the time. Really wasn't a national phenomenon until this band, I would argue, really kind of took it there. When they joined forces, Tucker and Brownstein, initially as a side project in the band they called Sleater Kinney, They weren't really sure that they were going to make more than one album. That self-titled debut album in 1995, pretty good record. But it was in 1996 with the Call the Doctor record where the string of greatness really began, their second album. The songwriting took a massive leap forward. Tucker and Brownstein trading off vocals, trading off guitar licks. And I think one of the keys to a lot of these bands, at least some of the bands that I'm going to cite here, is the trade-off between two great songwriters. It has a sort of sustaining power for those bands where they're almost trying to outdo each other. They followed with Dig Me Out in 1997, which I consider their finest album. The Rock came full force on this record. And I think the key for this band, the turning point, besides Brownstein and Tucker, Writing those songs together was the addition of Janet Weiss on drums, one of the great powerhouse drummers of the era, still one of the great drummers in rock and roll. In 99, the hot rock. Here's, you know, Jimmy, you made a great point. There's usually one album in that string that sort of sticks out and say, is that really a great record? Yeah. And I think it's, in some ways it's a little bit of a left turn for the band, so we have a little more difficult time processing it. I think for Sleater Kinney fans, that album was the hot rock in 99. More sophisticated, less rock, more introspective, fuller arrangements, uh, a lot more Janet Weiss on backing vocals. I think it's a great record. I think it really holds up over time. And then in 2000, All Hands on the Bad One. Everything that the hot rock wasn't, this album was because of its accessibility. Very much of a pop-centric kind of record. So that's four in a row right there for Slater Kenny, and it's too bad that their album One Beat from 2002, that's okay, because I could have kept going. I think The Woods in 2005 was a great album, and then Slater Kenny came back yet 10 years later with No Cities to Love, and I enjoyed that one as well. I just got to insert here that I respect Sleater <laughs> Kinney, but I don't think they made one masterpiece in a row. I know. We've argued about this before. But we have. To, to my mind, uh, over the last two decades, they've been as good a rock band as we've had. Here's the title track from the 1997 Dig Me Out album from Sleater Kinney on Sound Opinions.
Dig Me Out from Slater Kenny, one of the bands that I think delivered four great albums in a row. It was pretty tough for Greg and me coming up with these lists, but now we want to hear from you. Who makes your fantasy roster for the great Grand Slam artists? Call us at 888-859-1800 and leave a message. Now over to you, Len. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more Grand Slams. The sacks are packed. Stay tuned. It might be, it could be, it is the Sound Opinions Grand Slam. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRigatis, and that was Len Casper, voice of the Chicago Cubs. Currently, sports fans are in the midst of the World Series, so we thought it would be appropriate to list our best musical Grand Slams, which are four great albums consecutively released by one artist or group. Jim, it's your turn. Thanks, Greg. Uh, And I'm going to go to the U.K. again for Blur. I think Leisure, their 1991 debut, was a mere warm-up, a bit of a copycat record to the Manchester scene. They begin to come into their own with their first masterpiece, according to me, their second album, Modern Life is Rubbish, released in 1993. A wonderful new millennial update on psychedelic pop. Then comes their masterpiece, hugely considered so, Park Life, a great record released in 1994 that is, for the era, for the time and place, what Quadrophenia was for the mod era. The Great Escape is the sleeper in the string. I think the key to understanding the record is appreciating the song Country House. Again, often one album in a string of four where the band's taking a breather. I like that album a lot. I think a lot of people wouldn't consider it as much, as great a masterpiece as Park Life. But, you know, as critics, we're limited to the four-star scale, right? I mean, you know, you can't say five stars on the four-star scale. These are all four-star albums. The string ends with Blur, the fifth studio album, self-titled in 1997, where Graham Coxon, the instrumental powerhouse of the band, really pushes Damon Albarn, the main songwriter and the singer, later well-known as the guy behind Gorillaz and a prolific solo artist, pushes him toward American indie rock. But this is a particularly, peculiarly British take mm. on American indie rock. They're, they're, they're way interested in Guided by Voices and especially Pavement at this 
this point. And they come out with these wonderful, short, sharp, explosive punk rock songs like Song 2. I think Blur is a, a greatly underrated band. You know, here in the United States, Oasis is considered to have won the great rivalry between those two bands, and certainly Oasis was the one filling arenas. But Blur is the one that people are going to come back to 40 years after these albums and say, wow, what an extraordinary string of records. I'm going to go to Park Life. I'm going to play a song called Tracy Jacks. It's the second track on the album. It follows that wonderful breakthrough single, Girls and Boys. Tracy Jacks, to me, is every bit the masterpiece that David Watts was for the Kinks. Here is a guy I hang out with in the pub, and I am going to give you a brilliant sociological portrait of him that is also an incredible unforgettable rock song. Tracy Jacks by Blur on Sound Opinions. Tracy Jacks by Blur from 1994's Park Life on Sound Opinions. What do you got? In the last decade, I, I thought about, okay, who in the last, you know, 10, 15 years has put out four great albums in a row? You know, I started with my favorite artists of the last decade. You know, I think Kanye West and LCD Sound System have both been the most consistent. Now, LCD never got to four albums. They made those three great studio albums and then called it a day. Too bad. But Kanye's got five in a row. And I'm going to go with the first four. I think the first four records really hold up. The way he's bridged hip-hop and pop and still has managed to sound cutting edge is a really a, quite an accomplishment. Uh, starting out with the college dropout record in 2004, he had been a producer up to that point. There was grave doubts about whether this guy was going to make it on his own as an artist, as an MC. Could he rap? And I think he answered that question, not so much because he's the greatest rapper or got the greatest flow, but he's got great ideas and great personality. You know, he's rapping about working these lousy minimum wage jobs on that debut record and talking openly about his struggles with faith in a song like Jesus Walks. Really an impressive debut record, one of the best albums of that year. You know what the Midwest is, young and restless, restless, might snatch your necklace. The next these 
Mike Jack, your Lexus. Somebody tell who Kanye West is. He followed up in 2005 with late registration. Again, a daring move, collaborating with a singer, songwriter, producer, arranger out of Los Angeles named John Bryan, who's been a guest on this show brought him in for the late registration record, and I think it's Kanye's most impressive musical achievement just for the range of musical styles that he addressed on that record. Then we have the 2007 graduation record. A lot of synth and techno influences. He was taking in a lot of club music at the time. You hear a lot of Daft Punk influence on this record, and at the same time combining it with some shades of vulnerability that were creeping into his music. You could see Kanye saying, you know, I have doubts about myself. I know you think I'm an egotist. Well, i got some problems with the way I've been behaving as well. And sort of opening up about this in a way that you don't often hear in hip-hop. And then here's the red herring. You know, the 808s and Heartbreak album in 2008. The whole idea of Kanye attempting to sing, auto-tuned or not, sounds like a disaster in the making, you know. Here's another sports analogy for you here, Jim. Michael Jordan wants to play baseball. You know, greatest basketball player on earth decides, okay, I'm going to try another sport. Kanye pulls it off, and... For me, this is the album that resonates deepest on a lot of levels. I talked about the vulnerability that was starting to creep in on the graduation record. I think it's full force here. And I think 808s and Heartbreak is one of the most influential records he's made. If you listen to what's happening in R&B and hip-hop in the last few years, Kid Cudi, The Weeknd, Frank Ocean, even the last Justin Timberlake record, heavily influenced by, I think, what Kanye was doing on 808s and Heartbreak. Let's play a track from Kanye West from this great run of albums. The track is called Roses from the late registration record in 2005 on Sound Opinions. I know it's past visiting hours, but can I please give her these flowers? The doctor don't want to take procedures. He claim my heart can't take the anesthesia. It'll send a body into a seizure. The little thing by the hospital bed, it'll stop beeping. Hey, chick. I'm at a loss for words. What do you say at this time? Remember when I was nine? Tell her everything gonna be fine, but I be lying. The family crying. They wanted to live, and she trying. I'm arguing like, what kind of doctor can we find? You know the best medicine go to people that's paid. If Magic Johnson got a cure for AIDS and all the broke passed away, you telling me if my grandma's in the NBA right now she'd be okay? But since she was just a secretary, worked for the church for 35 years, things supposed to stop right here. My grandfather trying to pull it together. He's strong. That's where I get my confidence from. Asked the nurse, did you do the research? She asked me, can you sign some t-shirts? Is you smoking? You don't see that we hurt, but still. I My heart beat, beat, beat. If she gon' pull through, we gon' find out soon. But right now she sleep, sleep, sleep. My mama say they say she could pass away any day. 
That's Kanye West with Roses. And if you don't think you like Kanye West, I really emphasize, listen to the guy's music, not the public persona. If you're just tuning in to Sound Opinions, we're talking about rock and roll grand slams, our way of capping off a great baseball season with artists and bands who've achieved the almost impossible, four winning albums in a row. Jim, what's your next pick? Greg, I'm going to some artists we don't talk about nearly enough, and yet I know you love them. I love them. I think the fact they have not been active hardly at all in the new millennium it makes them easy to forget. But I will actually argue here and mean it sincerely that XTC made seven albums Seven masterpieces in a row. Like Led Zeppelin, the first album is pretty much a write-off. There are hints of what the band will become, but the sound hasn't gelled in 1978 when XTC premieres with white music. It all comes together a year later, uh, less than a year, the go-to record. You have this wonderful, angular attempt to take very complicated, very smart Beatles-esque pop and put it into the new wave mold of hyper-energetic, edgy, angular rhythms, jagged edges, wonderful songs like Mechanic Dancing and Battery Brides and Are You Receiving Me? Drums and Wires pushes that sound a little bit Further, in 1979, another set of unforgettable songs from Andy Partridge and his sometimes songwriting partner, Colin Moulding, making plans for Nigel. When you're near me, I have difficulty. Ten feet tall. Then comes the beginning of the psychedelic era. Black Sea, released in 1980. That wonderful album cover of them in the deep sea diver's suits. They're beginning to get into their rubber soul revolver period. Some very complicated melodies, some some ornate production. Then the masterpiece in the psychedelic mold, English Settlement. Album number five from XTC, fourth in a string of brilliant records. 1982, a lot of 12-string acoustic guitar added to that new wave psychedelic pop propulsion. I would say the string continues. Mummer in 1983, the Big Express back to pop in 1984, and then Skylarking really capping the string in 86, where everything came together under producer Todd Rundgren, all the elements of the sounds that had been on all the preceding records. I said seven. I just named six. In between The Big Express and Skylarking, they took a detour, released an album under a pseudonym as the Dukes of Stratosphere. It was a straight-on, psychedelic, 1967, day-glow, paisley pop homage. Mini record, I would include that as masterful Mm. as well. What a great band. I was literally torn between which of 50 songs to play. But I'm going to go with something from Black Sea. The tune is called Generals and Majors. I think as an anti-war anthem, it is every bit as powerful lyrically, intellectually, as Bob Dylan's Masters of War. Yet, it has this wonderful XTC joyful spirit. There are 16 hooks in three minutes. You don't get that with Dylan. Here it is, XTC on Sound Opinions.
XDC with Generals and Majors, a band that Jim DeRogatis argues has made seven, not just four great albums in a row, but seven great albums in a row. And i got to say, it's pretty hard to toss one out of there and say it's not any good. There's a few bands that we're leaving out here. You ain't going to hear any Roxy music. You're not going to hear any Dylan. You're not going to hear any Rolling Stones. I would say all of those groups had great four-album runs. Sly Stone, Masterpieces, albums number two and three, and then five and six. It's the fourth one that kind of uh, falls flat. Right. But with this band, no doubt about it, uh, Husker Du owned the 80s, beginning with the 1984 double album, Zen Arcade, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, unheard of idea. (laughs) Okay, this this indie band out of Minneapolis is going to make a double album on this, you know, incredibly tight budget. They basically recorded the entire thing in a day. You know, it just blew everybody's minds when it came out. uh, And, well, it should have. You had everything in that record in terms of avant-garde music to hard-edge pop-punk, the psychedelic blowouts, you had instrumentals, you had acoustic touches. They followed it up in 1985 with New Day Rising and Flip Your Wig, two masterpieces in one year. And we talked about the songwriting uh, tandem in Sleater Kinney, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker. In Husker Du, it was Bob Mould and Grant Hart making each other better. There was a not-so-subtle competition between those two to write the best songs on each record, and they really did push each other to some of the greatest work of their careers. And New Day Rising and Flip Your Wig were the, the, the most song-oriented records that they cut, both incredibly inventive and both incredibly influential. And then Candy Apple Gray, here's the red herring for Husker Du for some fans, the 1986 record. I would argue, major step forward here, starting to show some more introspection. You had those two great acoustic pieces by Bob Mould on that yeah. on that album, anchoring that record. You know, a track like Hardly Getting Over It, I think, is one of the best things he'd done during that era, showing a completely different side of the band. And Hart keeping up the pace with uh, the great pop touches that he would throw in with Don't Want to Know If You Are Lonely and Sorry Somehow. Here's, I think, an example of the great pop meets post-punk songwriting that the band brought to the equation. The Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill, Grant Hart on lead vocals from the New Day Rising record, my favorite Husker Du record on Sound Opinions.
The Girl Who Lives on Heaven Hill from Husker Du, a great four-album run in the 80s. And Jim, I think in some ways we're saving the best for last. Well, we are. There were a couple of names that when we introduced this concept, we threw out because you got to claim them first. And then we went into our separate corners like two boxers. In, that's the sweet sport, right? <laughs> yeah. And and came up with others. We were going to fight over Zeppelin. We were going to fight over Husker Du. We were going to fight over the Velvet Underground. We are both huge fans. All modern music can be traced directly to the Velvet Underground. The late rock critic Lester Banks said that. It is certainly true of everything that has happened in rock and roll since the Velvet Underground broke up in 1970. There is some Velvets in everything. The debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico, produced... His name was on the cover by Andy Warhol. 1967 actually sets the template for everything that would follow. All four albums, four studio albums, four masterpieces. It's very much a contrast to every other band I chose as a Grand Slam because the first album for everybody else was the warm-up record and then came a string of masterpieces. For the Velvets, they had the blueprint in place right from the beginning. Lou Reed and John Cale with the noise epics, the quieter folk songs, the avant-garde, the rock and roll, the pop. It was all there on songs like Sunday Morning and I'm Waiting for the Man and Venus and Furs and Run, Run, Run and the Black Angels Death Song. Mm. Oh my God. All right. Maybe the choice of his fate set themselves out upon a plate for him to choose. What had he to lose? Not a ghost bloody country all covered with sleep where the black angel did weep. Not an old city street and he's gone to choose. White Light, White Heat in 1968 furthers the noise exploration. There are quiet moments. Here she comes now. But the epic of Sister Ray and that merging of free jazz noise exploration with rock and roll. You know, there is no Sonic Youth, there is no alternative rock, no Melvins, no no Nirvana in its nasty mode without White Light, White Heat. Then comes the Quiet album, The Sleeper, 1969, self-titled The Velvet Underground. Candy Says, an incredibly empathetic song about a man who undergoes a sex change operation, beginning to see the light, a song of redemption from the darkest depths, and nobody did dark depths Hmm. ever better than The Velvet Underground. Then comes Loaded in 1970. The pop record. Why was it called Loaded? Because Lou Reed said it was loaded with Hmm. hits. Who Loves the Sun, Sweet Jane, Rock and Roll, Cool It Down, New Age, one unforgettable pop rock anthem after another. All of that was predicted by the first album. All of it was perfected on albums two, three, and four. I'm going to go with The Noise, but it's The Noise married memorably with the pop. For my money, though everybody talks about Sister Ray, I heard her call my name has all the furious intensity, the insane amelodic cacophony of those guitars that are in Sister Ray, but paired with this very traditional kind of 50s, 60s pop song. You know, I heard her call my name. Why did he hear her call his name? Because he was going insane, and then his <laughs> mind split open, and then the guitar solo from hell happens not <laughs> once, but twice. My God, from the first time I've heard this album, it thrilled me and it scared me, and it still does 30 years later. That's what great rock and roll does, kids. I heard her call my name by the Velvet Underground from 1968's White Light, White Heat on Sound of Opinions. I know that you're here somehow, man. I couldn't call my name. 
I heard her call my name from the Velvet Underground. No doubt, four great, four masterpieces. Let's just call it four masterpieces. Indisputable. In a row. To see a list of all of our Grand Slams, visit soundopinions.org and share yours on Facebook, Twitter, or on the air at 888-859-1800. Coming up, Greg and I review the new album from former Sound Opinions guests, Proto Martyr. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Back in that bed, gone with the wind. Jody Mansion's done it again. Some folks thought Big Joe was done. Some just figured Joe was gone. Steps to the platter with a great big grin. Jody Mansion's done it again. I'm gonna tell you just the way I feel Man can't run without his heel Watch that raggy bill split the wind Jody Maggio's done it again All three fielders jump their best Trying to climb that outboard fence They outgrow whiskers on their chin Jody Maggio's done it Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. That's Ellen from the new Proto-Martyr album, The Agent Intellect. Proto-Martyr, a band out of Detroit, debuted in 2012 with a record, No Passion, All Technique. This band was kind of an accident when it, when it formed. Uh, Joe Casey, the lead singer in the group, was a theater doorman well into his 30s at this point in Detroit. He had an English degree and lots of time on his hands, and he was struck up a conversation with a, a guitarist, Greg Ahey, who had gone to the same high school except was 10 years younger than Casey. Ahey was in a band, invited Casey to sit in on a few songs. One thing led to another, and the band went into a studio to record a single. That blew up into this 2012 album, No Passion, All Technique, recorded in a single day, we're told ended up getting a lot of notice in the media. They went back 
to record a follow-up album under color of official right, and that really did some business for the group. One of the best albums of 2014 made my top five last year. There were guests on Sound Opinions as well. Great story because uh, Joe Casey's one of the most self-deprecating men in the music business. He described Proto-Martyr as uh, 30 minutes of a fat guy yelling at you, describing (laughs) himself. (laughs) Now we have The Agent Intellect, the third studio album from Proto-Martyr. We're going to review it in a second, but first let's play a track from it. It's called The Devil in His Youth from Proto-Martyr on Sound Opinions. Before recorded time In some suburban room See The devil in his youth Devil in His Youth by Proto-Martyr from its third album, The Agent Intellect. Greg, I had to look it up. The title of the album apparently is a reference to an ancient medieval philosophical questioning Mm -hmm. of how the mind operates in relation to the uh, so-called active intellect. All right. Mm -hmm. Joe Casey is a very smart guy. He also writes very movingly in that song, Ellen, that we bumped in with. That is his father, who is now dead, talking to his mother, who suffered from Alzheimer's. I mean, that's a really deep way to write. There is a lyrical outlook that I think matches the musical approach of Proto-Martyr, and it is not to, to romanticize the plight of Detroit, one of the great American cities, certainly one of the great American rock and roll cities, but there is a grayness, a bleakness, a faded industrial glory, and yet a pride that native Detroiters know well, and I think that Proto-Martyr is like instantly up there now after three great albums with the great Detroit bands of all time, you know, Stooges, MC5. I mean, this is an incredible band, and I got to give the drummer some. Alex Leonard plays with such force and propulsion, pushing this band forward, but but minimal, too. It's kind of like sleek and pared down. That's what makes it post-punk as opposed to punk. That's what makes it post-punk as opposed to metal. Unbelievably powerful, lyrically and musically, a very enthusiastic buy-it for me. Well, uh, I couldn't agree more, Jim. I love this band. They defy expectation, and they get so much better with each record. I mean, I like the first record. I love the second record. I double love this third record. (laughs) Double love. I like that. It's an amazing record. Uh, I think because Casey has upped his game. He's so self-deprecating. 
you know, some people are initially put off by the voice. You know, it's, it's a sing-speak style. You know, think about, uh, you know, The Fall, Marquis e. Smith. Think about Lou Reed yeah. and the Velvets. It's, it's that kind of tradition that he's operating under. And also the literary tradition. You know, I, I, you, you can drop names like Algren, Bukowski, Burroughs, and Lou Reed and, and not feel like you're selling this guy out in terms of his abilities because I think that Casey is clearly in that league in terms of what he's attempting to do with the lyrics but not in a way that makes you think, oh, look how impressive the wordplay is. No, he's digging deep for some emotional language here that peaks, I think, in the two best songs the band has ever written. That one-two punch at the end of the album, Why Does It Shake?, and then Ellen, as you mentioned, are really powerfully moving tracks. He's talking about living in Detroit. He's talking about family. He's talking about the people close to him in these relationships in a way that isn't sentimental, but incredibly moving. In that track, Why Does It Shake? It was an offhand comment his mother made about the effect of Alzheimer's on her body. Her body could see her body deteriorating. Again, another moving chronicle of what he saw in his own family. So keeping it small and at the same time really powerful with the band not wasting any notes. These guys don't get in Casey's way, but they deliver these jabs that are so precise and so percussive and so powerful. I think it's one of the great American bands, and I feel like I'm slipping into hyperbole here, but I think Proto-Martyr <laughs> well, it's is... rare for you as opposed to me. You know, Proto-Martyr is one of those bands with guitar, bass, and drums that is resurrecting this art form for me. It's like, okay, everything's been done. All these bands sound kind of boring. Well, these guys are amazing. I think this is a great, great record. The Agent Intellect is a buy-it record. So two enthusiastic buy-its. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Next week, Jim, we have a fabulous band out of the East Coast, Low Cut Connie, with an in-studio performance and interview. Greg, you want to talk about a Grand Slam team? Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Libby Gormley. Jim and Greg, they've hit it out of the park. For Sound Opinions, I'm Len Casper. See you at the ballpark. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, this is Josh Rubin from Brooklyn, New York. I wanted to say I love, again, as always, your Halloween show, this year's show on music, invoking in some way the devil. And I had one to add. I am suggesting... Jezebel Spirit from My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, David Byrne and Brian Eno. Uh, rather than simply singing about the devil, there's an actual exorcism. They used found recording of an exorcism, and you hear the exorcist addressing whoever it is that's possessed and trying to perform that exorcism. So the devil's a real presence on this record, and I find it quite eerie and heightened by the trance-like beat and sort of rhythmic pattern on the record. Do you have ISIS? You do, so you are possessed. You are a believer born again, and yet you have ISIS and you are possessed. 
think it belongs on the list with everything else for Halloween this year. All right, thank you very much. Bye. Hello, my name is Brita King. I'm calling from the Chicago area, and I'm calling to submit my devil music selection, which is Christopherg Spanish Train. Yes, this is uh, Craig Quixote from Highway 61. Uh, I want to suggest for your uh, devil music program, uh, Devil Got My Woman by Skip James. Hi, my name is Marcy, and I'm calling from Highland Park, Illinois. I'm thinking of a song that is the typical Faustian tale. It's Party of the First Part by Bauhaus. Hi, this is Brent McConnell from Raleigh, North Carolina. I was calling about a devil song, and I think you'd have to go with Holy Diver by Ronnie James Dio. Not directly mention the devil, but if there's a devil song, then... Ride the lightning. <laughs> Holy diver. You can see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Oh, don't you see what I mean? Gotta get away. Holy diver. Yeah. My name's David Gonzalez. I'm calling from Brookfield, Illinois. I just heard the Halloween show, Songs About the Devil. Jim Beragadis is the laziest critic of any art. No sooner do you announce you're not going to bring up songs as obvious as the Stones' Sympathy for the Devil, then the devil went down to Georgia and devil with a blue dress. And a previous Halloween show, you picked I'm Not in Love. Even your listeners dug deeper. Jim, you have access to a radio program. Use it properly. Hey, guys, this is Kevin O'Keefe. I'm from Chesapeake, Virginia, and just got done listening to the Devil episode, and I uh, really liked it. I thought it was a terrific episode. And I just wanted to add a favorite of mine is Up Jump the Devil, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And I uh, just love the descriptive nature of that song, and uh, you can really uh, you almost see it. See the devil there following him around. My daddy did a jig with a drunk midwife. Who's that yonder all in flames? Dragging behind him a sack of chains. Who's that yonder all in flames? For up jumped the devil and he staked his claim. Really, uh, Seems like it might be what actually happened to Nick Cave. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, just thought I'd add that, and I uh, love the show. And that's it. Thanks. Bye-bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.